welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Hey, Kingdom Culture family, so great to see you again. Happy Father's Day. This is an amazing day. We're celebrating you. If you are a father, if you're going to be a father, maybe you're a spiritual father, whatever the case may be, we celebrate you today. We thank you for your role in our lives. I know that this day is also a day of heartache for so many people that maybe didn't grow up with a father in their life or had a rough relationship with their father or whatever the case may be. We're here. We believe that today's conversation will be a game changer for your life, will radically impact your life. I'm super excited about what's going to come from this conversation. So honestly, happy Father's Day. And we are in this series right now. We've been in it for a few months, several months now actually, called Revive 2020. If you're new with us, maybe you don't know what's been going on, but we've been in this series called Revive 2020, where we've been talking about certain areas of our life that we believe God wants to revive our heart in. And so if you're tracking with us for the first time, welcome to all of our first time guests with us watching this, or that will watch this after the fact, as well, obviously our Kingdom Culture community and our extended family that are watching from around the world. Thank you for tuning in. Today, I have the amazing privilege of being with an incredible individual, someone that Michelle and I love with all of our heart, and his name is Charlie Robinson. Charlie Robinson, welcome. How you doing? Thank you, Sean, and happy Father's Day. It's so awesome to be here. Yeah, we just love you guys over there in Ottawa, and uh, we've had some amazing, and I mean amazing times, not just just in the anointing, but just in friendship. We love you guys. We've seen We've seen a lot of, uh, let's call it river of life gone under the bridge in the last uh, in the last number of years. And, you know, you guys are holding up a gate in Ottawa and we really, really appreciate you guys. Well, thank you. We appreciate you. You know, um, you know, you, you are in Alberta, right? No, you're British Columbia. My son's in Alberta. <laughs> you, you've been in BC, but you've been in Montreal. You've been all over Canada, really. I mean, you've lived a lot of different places, but now you're in British Columbia. You're in Abbotsford, right? Yeah, we're in Abbotsford. We actually were, uh, I mean, we traveled all over the world, as you know, for the last 15 years specifically, but uh, we live, we're from Quebec. My wife and I are from Southern Quebec. Uh, Sammy was born here in Abbotsford. And so we've lived in Abbotsford probably a grand total of more than half my life, about, about 40 years. Wow. Wild, wild, wild. And, uh, you know, Charlie, for those of you who don't know, Charlie's been really around Michelle and I and with Michelle and I in very key junctures of our life. And he's been a huge role, played a huge role in the story of our journey in ministry. And Charlie, he carries this this dynamic of a spiritual father. And he's been that to Michelle and I. He's an incredible individual. He's someone that I trust with my heart. He's someone that 
I believe, carries it not only for individuals like myself and my wife, but he is a spiritual father to the country. And he's a prophetic voice to the country. And not just Canada, but around the world. And so we're so appreciative of voices like Charlie and what they have done for the body of Christ globally. And I'm excited to dive into our conversation today because today we are talking about our subject for our Revive 2020 series is Revive the Fathers. Revive the Fathers. And our subject, our our, sorry, sub-subject is Restoring Stability. Because we believe that the father role is so important. And like I said at the beginning, it's a sensitive issue for some. It's a celebratory issue for many others. Um, because, you know, some of us didn't grow up with the best scenario of a father. Some of us had an amazing father. Whatever the case may be, we need uh, continuing. We, we need to continue to get a, a hold of this revelation of ultimately God as a father. You know, it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 14 to 15, out of the New Living Translation, it says it like this. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him, the word is Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. The thing I love about that word Abba, if you break it down in the Greek, it's, all, it's, a, it's a term of tender endearment by a beloved child. It's, a, it's an affectionate, dependent relationship. Even, even you can translate it as daddy or papa. It's like we cry out, daddy, papa God. It's, a, it's, a, it's deeper than just saying father. It's, saying father is very like almost iconic or very disconnected. You know what I mean? But to, to say daddy, to say, uh, 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 to say, to say uh, papa is more of a, a term of endearment. I am a son and you are a dad. I, man, I want my kids to call me daddy forever. I can't, I don't want my kids to ever call me father. It sounds so almost disconnected, but there's something about that word Abba, father, coming from a son. I love this. If you break it down even further and you can see the word, the use of Abba in the book of Galatians, and it actually, um, it, 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 it sounds as though, or can be translated as the privileged status of an adult son and an heir. I love that. It's like as a son calling out to a father, even in Matthew 6, where, you know, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray started out with our father, our father, our daddy, our papa who is in heaven. I put you first above all other names. I hallow your name. I honor your name. I sanctify your name. I love this. And I think as a starting point to this conversation, I'm hoping that from this conversation, we can give you to those that are watching a healthy biblical construct to why we need to understand first and foremost, God as a father, but then also our role in people's lives as fatherly figures slash or backslash, you know, other people's roles in our lives as fatherly figures. And so um, yeah, I, I just want to get into your story. I really want to get into your story. Then I want to share a dream and then build from that as well. But I'd love for you, Charlie, just to kind of bring us into your journey. You have a son. He's an incredible individual, close friend of mine. His name's Sammy Robinson. He's been on our board for, for years now, been in relationship with him for years now. And, you know, the Bible says that wisdom is justified by the children. And I look at your son and I, I think, man, Charlie must be a man of wisdom because look at the son that he raised. 
And uh, I, I, I'm just so appreciative of, of what you've done for the next generation, not just your son, but for the next generation. And I kind of want to dive into your story a little bit from when you were like, a, I believe it was a high school teacher all the way to fathering your son to now you being and playing a spiritual role as a father in what I believe is the global body of Christ. So, Charlie, talk to me. You know, I, I um, Sean, I grew up as a, uh, um, as a child from a, a broken marriage. My parents divorced when I was three, but I lived with my dad and I had an amazing dad and I still connect with my mom today. Um, she's 84 years old. My dad is, is uh, passed on in glory, but uh, I had an, an amazing dad who would spend time with me. He was on television every week. Actually, for, for two years, he was on one program. We're talking coast to coast on the French CBC. And so, but I remember he used to sit in his lap every Saturday night. And I remember the smell of the Old Spice and he'd just have his arm around me. And before he left, he'd give me a kiss. And then I'd see him on TV an hour later. So he, even though he became like a big fish in a little pond there in Montreal, uh, he always took time for me and he liked to play games. And, and he, I just had an amazing, amazing father. His name was Ivan Robinson. And, um, but I wasn't a Christian until I hit uh, 17 years old. I, I received Christ. I was actually camping in a pop tent that was about a foot too short for me. I cried out <laughs> to God and God transformed my life. And, uh, and, I, and that began my journey in, in Christ. And um, I can remember way back, people would come up and go, you know what, you're, you're a spiritual father. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, I'm not even married. Like, and I would tell them, right? I didn't have a, have a clue what it was. But as, as life progressed uh, and as ministry began to progress, I learned some keys early on in ministry. And even with success in ministry, this really helped me because we're talking about fathering and we're talking about uh, being in ministry. We don't have to be obviously uh, uh, in ministry to be a spiritual father, but I learned really early in the early 80s uh, when I had tremendous success in ministry. And I remember uh, even Mennonites were getting healed. The glory of God would fall. God would, would, would speak to me every day about the glory. I would have heavenly visitations. Angels would come. People would get saved. In a couple of years, I led about 300 people to the Lord. And, uh, and I had a great ministry. Uh, but I remember one day I said, God, how am I doing? He said, you got a big head. I said, what? He said, you got a big head. And I said, what do you mean a big head? He said, Charlie, all this ministry, all the gifts I gave you, that, he said that I gave that to you. All the gifts you have don't make you spiritual. They, they just enable you to love people and, through the kingdom. And, 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 he's, and, I, and I had this journey where God said, okay, here's, here's how you're going to have successful ministry because I wanted to know. And he said this, he quoted me a scripture and I didn't want to hear it because I was a word faith man. Man, I saw, I saw my dreams and visions come to pass. Many people got healed. I spoke the word, prophetic words. I spoke a word over a mall. The whole mall got taken over by a church. And I was God saying, okay, I'm going to give you the key to ministry. I already thought I had the key to ministry. Wow. And he gave me this scripture out of Philippians, very important, in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than yourself. And I said, how many others, God? <laughs> All others. I said, God, you and I know you put that in the Bible, but I can't do that. He said, no, you can't, but I'll help you do it. And he put me on a process. It was about a two-year process, but it's actually a life cycle. It's, it's, a, life, it's a life walk with God. And, uh, and, and I begin to realize what ministry was. Ministry is not taking from people. Ministry is freely receive, freely give, but not just the gifts. It's what's in your heart. What's in your heart is very, very important today. And if you're a prophetic person, we're, I'm going to talk about fathering. Every prophetic person is called to, to father. And I found that out in the middle of successful ministry. I wasn't really being successful because I had to develop the heart of a father. And I just want to read one scripture if I could, Sean. And, and this changed my life because in Malachi 4, 
chapter chapter five and six, and this is for all us prophetic people and everybody and everybody that loves the word of God, even if you're not saved, this is going to say something to you. It says, behold, I'll send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, the, now, Elijah, the prophet, man, I mean, he prayed and fire came down from heaven. He saw, you know, the widow got, got her meal and, and, and flour and oil, you know, increase and, and just miracle after miracle after miracle, signs and wonders. And yet the Bible says that when, the, when Elijah comes back, Elijah, the prophet, so this tremendous prophetic ministry, when it hits the earth, it says this, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth through the curse. God told me that is the purest form of the prophetic ministry. Wow. And it, ha- it doesn't even say one thing about miracle signs and wonders, fire coming down from heaven. I mean, all those things can happen. We live in a realm of miracle signs and wonders. However, the heart of the prophet and the heart of God's prophetic people should be, number one, not down the list, should be to draw and to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, fathers first to the children, and then the hearts of the children to the fathers. And wow. so I, I, I graduated from college. Uh, I, have a, I have a degree in child care counseling, almost a master's in psychology. Uh, so I worked in the school district in our town for many years, but I worked specifically for seven years in an alternate school. Now, my son was very, very young. We had Sammy in 1986. And I worked in an alternate school. Now, what's an alternate school? Well, an alternate school in our town, first of all, we had about a thousand kids go through it every year. And the alternate school, I call it the um, the hair school because they, they had every kind of hair. I'd never seen that kind of hair. They had blue hair, purple hair, rainbow hair. I mean, mauve hair, pink hair, rainbow hair, mohawk, faux hawk, no hawk, no hair, bald, <laughs> stubble. I mean, every kind. I mean, and mo- because most of the kids in that school had got kicked out, dropped out. Uh, you know, just faded out of the school system. Most of them had tremendous issues at home, just trying to keep it together. Many were from homes with single moms. Some didn't even know who their father was. Some of them, uh, I would meet their parents. Their parents were drug addicts. I'm talking heroin addicts. And and these kids were just barely hanging on. Most of them had come back to school because they didn't finish and they were so distraught. They were the depressed. They were the suicidal. They were the gang members. They were the hurt. They were the damaged. And actually, I was warned the day before I went to that school, because I'd worked with special needs kids for years. I was a youth counselor at one, one school. And this guy phones me. He says, you have any idea of where you're going? I said, no, I don't. He says, he says, you know the guys that go to the school? I mean, they're the bad kids. Half these kids have spent time in jail and juvenile detention. And some of them are going to end their life there. And, and, and I'm like, no, I'm going there. And I remember the first day, Sean, that I went to work. I was driving. And I, and, and I saw these kids standing there. And they had, like, back then it was the black hair went straight up. Everything, everything was black. They all dressed in black. They all looked like they just fell out of bed that morning. They're all standing around smoking <laughs> in the smoke pit. None of them are supposed to be able to smoke. They're smoking and spitting. And, 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 and I drive in. I'm the new guy. They, they give me the eye. And I park my car. And I look back there. And I see Jesus Christ standing in the middle of them. Wow. And I went. How come you're not in my car? What are you doing over those guys in the in the smoke pit? Like what what's going on? And and Jesus said this to me, Charlie. I told you that I like them hot or cold. He says they're cool to me, but they're real. I like real. And he said, Charlie, I'm going to show you what real is. What I didn't realize is for the next seven years, I would be literally a father. Not, uh, 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 not just a spiritual father, because most of these kids didn't know the Lord, but a father to many, many of these kids, the wow. guys and the girls in the class. And I remember I remember being in the class, and I thought, man, I, I, I didn't panic, but I thought, man, I better pray before these kids get here. And I would pray, and I would release the glory of God. Uh, um, and I'm doing a mentorship, actually, right now called 
the father of glory. I don't know if you knew that. You probably no, don't I didn't know, know that. John. The no, father of no. glory. Wow. Not, wow. not just the king of glory and the God of glory, the father of glory. Because I learned how to be and to move in the anointing of the father of glory. Of wow. glory. You see, Amazing. we got to watch out in the, in the prophetic that we don't sterilize everything into prophetic miracle signs and wonders. God's first and foremost call over every man and woman is to be a father to at least somebody. And so these kids would come in. I remember the first day I would pray around my desk and release the glory. And this one great big guy tattooed up and these guys had nothing to lose, right? He'd come and stand by my desk and he goes, I want to ask you a question. I said, what? He said, you know, how come it feels good when I stand right here by your desk? Not over there, not over there. Right here, I feel really good. And one girl goes, yeah, I walked by his desk. I almost fell down. And I'm like, you did? I said, how did it feel? She goes, well, it was like I was really stoned, but not really. I just felt really wow, good. Wow, crazy. And from that point on, people would begin to gravitate. But it wasn't just the glory. It was the father of glory. It was something. And God, and I said, where's that from? God says, coming out of you. Wow. Paul said this, he prayed of uh, Ephesians 1 verse 17, that God would get the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, he prayed, would give us a revelation, uh, a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in, in the knowledge of the father of glory is what it says. And so I all of a sudden started, I never felt like this. I have my own son. I felt like I was a father to the fatherless and kids would start and I would prophesy. I remember the first time in a public school, you guys, I should have got fired every day. All I got was more promotion. I remember this one girl, <laughs> she was a fighter, eh? She would sit there. I mean, nobody got around her and she was just like the eagle eye of the class. And, and God says, give her a word. I said, right now. So I gave her a word. I said, you know what? When you grow up, you want to be a social worker. You want to help people and this and that and something about your family, this and that. And this happened to you there. And she stands up and says, who told him? She's looking around. I said, God. When I said God, she just broke. It was just like a waterfall. Wow. Because she, and she didn't care. She realized God loved her, that there was a father in heaven. Like what these kids experienced, you guys, I saw so many girls go to church and get saved and come back. I'm a Christian. I never even told them to get saved because they felt, they sensed the love of God. They sensed the love of the father. Even the guys would come and they'd come up and they'd talk to me after school or I'd bring them to, I'd bring them to McDonald's. So here's one thing that I did. I, I, I bought a brand new Mustang. Shirley went out and, and we looked at a Mustang. We bought it for Sammy, but he was only 15, so we could drive it for a year. So I had this convertible Mustang and I would park it and the kids could all see it. Man, that's a nice car. And God said, I want you to load up the car every lunchtime, all the guys, and then bring them to McDonald's and tell them they can eat anything they want. Had five Big Macs is fine. Pay for the whole thing. But you tell them that, I'm gonna, that you're going to talk about Jesus for half an hour. Every one of them, yeah, go for it. We would drive all these guys. You guys live with the fatherless. And we'd drive them to, to McDonald's. And then they'd be eaten. And I would just talk about Jesus. And they would just ask him the most amazing questions when we were having fun. Wow. You see, key is this, you guys. And I don't know if you want me to segue in, into, into Sammy and, and how God well, taught ahead, me how to yeah, raise my son. Because, you know, it's a foreign concept to a lot of people. Like, what do you mean by having fun? Even Christians, like, yeah, kids need to be disciplined. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but, but you know what? You don't have to look for discipline. Discipline look, will look for you. Your son doesn't have to look for discipline. Di it, it, discipline will look for him. You don't have to look for persecution. Persecution will look for you. I'm going to tell you what you do look for. You need to look for God, the father, and find out what kind of father he is. Because I grew up, and I hadn't shared this, but I grew up as a, as a, I was in a couple of bands. I wanted to be like my dad. And then I became a basketball player in college and uh, I got saved and I ended up scoring more points at the time in the late seventies. I scored more points in Canadian college basketball than anybody in history at the time. I scored over 3,600 points. I, I couldn't even touch the rim in high school. By the time I graduated, I could hit my elbow on the rim. Yeah. Cause how, three, just for people yeah. that don't know, cause you're sitting down, how tall are you? 
Uh, a little bit over six foot five, yeah. Yes, you're you're yeah. a tall man. <laughs> you're yeah, a tall man. and and I I had ups and I was quick and uh, and I, we had no three point line, but I shot just about every shot outside the three point. We pack out the gyms. Basketball was my life. I actually got saved by through playing basketball. I ended up going to this place to work in the summer, and while playing basketball, I ended up getting saved. And so the the deal was though. So when Sammy is the strangest thing happened to me. So we're talking about fathers. Because, you know, it's amazing, you, you know, when men get married, especially, I mean, there's some books on, you know, how to be a mother and what to do, but how many books outside of the church that, and that really reflect the heart of God of being a dad, not just being a father, being a dad. Yeah. Be, you know, I, I have this cup today, you know that you guys, and I didn't even plan on it. It says world's greatest dad. Oh, I'm not talking on. about me. God's the world's greatest dad. But for some reason I grabbed this cup. That's um, awesome. and, and, and so, so, um, you know, I, I, I love Sammy, I love to play, but I always love to play. But when he was 10 years old, this is where my life absolutely changed because I found out from God that I had a responsibility. Now, two things that Shirley and I uh, always said when Sammy was born. Number one, our, the Sunday school class in our church, and it was a good one. Actually, Shirley did it for six years. But a Sunday school class in our church was not going to raise our son in the things of God. He would learn, but they weren't going to raise him. We were going to raise him in the things of God. And number two, when he became a teenager, we weren't just going to say, okay, go to the youth. The youth will raise you. The church youth will raise you. No, we raised our son when he was a teenager. But when he was 10, my life changed. And this is one of the most pivotal moments in my life, in my son's life. I was sitting there. Sammy had his 10th birthday, and God goes, okay, now he's yours. I'm like, what do you mean? He says, now he's yours. Your wife has, you know, he's been taking care of him, you know, and I was with him, drove him to school and different things, but he goes, now he's yours spiritually. Now you mentor him. I'm like, what do you mean? Now I mentor him. He's 10 years old and now it's your turn. And I said, God, how do I mentor him? God waits for us to ask these questions. He said, when you're having fun. I said, what do you mean when I'm having, he said, Charlie, you love to play ball hockey. You love to play basketball. You, you got saved because you played basketball. You love sports. You love games. He says, when you're having fun, here's what you're going to do. I'm going to speak to you to put in his life and to sow the seeds of righteousness in his life when you're having fun. Not when he blows it, you say, you should know better. That's in the Bible. You should never say that to your children. Are you kidding me? God doesn't say it to you. So don't say it to your children. You know, you should know better and you should know better. And you're a Christian. What do you think? I've never said that my son, because God told me when he was 10, never say it. You know, and, and so I, we would be playing basketball and God was speaking. I mean, Sammy loved basketball. I told him you're going to be a great basketball player. Sammy ended up being, Sean, you know this, the number one uh, uh, ranked basketball player in Canada and all of Canada in one year, the same league that Steve Nash played in, who's in the NBA Hall of Fame, the same league, not the same year, a few years later, Sammy won eight straight MVPs on every wow. tournament. I was the assistant coach. He won every tournament, eight MVPs in every tournament that year. Wow. And, I, and, and this is amazing. Amazing. And, but here's the deal. When he was 10, I said, Sammy, you're going to be a great basketball player, but I'm going to tell you, he's 10. I said, don't let anybody identify you as Sammy, the great basketball player. You are Sammy, the Christian who loves Jesus, because one day basketball will end, but you'll still be a Christian. We'll always remember that. And so uh, so, so I, I, would, I would play basketball. I remember, I remember one time God says, okay, tell Sammy he's never going to own a non-Christian tape back then it was the tapes right like all his friends you know they were finding ac dc under the couch and all that and he's and, and i'm like sammy you know what you're never gonna you're never gonna find well we're having fun you guys it wasn't i did found something did i i would say sammy you're you're, uh, you're you're never going to have a, you know, a non-Christian, uh, you know, um, tape and, and all this. And he goes, no, dad, why would I? Of course you tan, right? But he would believe, I only said it once. I never told Sammy not to take a drink of alcohol ever. I mean, we have, you know, friend, Christian friends that do, but, but, but so I'm not saying it's wrong or right. We don't, but he never did 
But he, I never told him not to. Never told him not to. What we demonstrated to my son is the joy of the Lord in every aspect of our life. We demonstrated in our life. We had fun as a family. We had fun. Now, did we have times of discipline? Absolutely. Times of correction? Absolutely. But even more than that, we didn't have to discipline even near the way a lot of the, and some of the guys were like, we're going to discipline for every little everything. And they just went right. And their kids wanted to be, they come over to my house and go, I want to be with you. And I, and you're more my dad than, than, than my dad. And I'm like, don't say that. You got a good dad. He just may. but you see what happens is Fathering is a place of humility. And that's why I mentioned that in the, in the scripture way over here, that, that it has successful ministry and to be a father and to really be a father. Fathers don't come out of gifting. You're not gifted as a father. You either are one or you're not one. Gifting comes from your heart. But it also comes through, I preach, you don't know this, Sean, I preached on Father of Glory yesterday for one hour of my mentorship, and all I talked about was humility is the gate to every real, true, supernatural experience. And that's what I talked about. And and I would, I would, I'm going to say one more scripture and I'll throw it back to you. So in the process, Sammy and I played a lot, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of ball hockey. Different kids would come. We'd have a birthday. We were rolling. We were in business back then. We'd have 30 kids come. We'd give everybody a, a gift. Everybody would get a gift. Everybody wanted to be at Sammy's birthdays. We, we had just, uh, and so Sammy and I developed this relationship of having fun, enjoying each other. You know, he, he, was, he was my best friend when he was like 15, other than my wife, Shirley. Shirley, however, people don't realize this, took him out every day, every day, every day, every day for a walk. And she'd walk an hour. And almost every day she would say this to him. We, she mentioned this the other day. She would tell Sammy, Sammy, you will bypass me and dad one day. You will bypass us in the things of God. You'll bypass us in ministry. When he was a kid, probably starting at four years old, she was starting. And all the way up to when, actually, she still says it. And now he's already bypassed us. But how does it happen? We have to have a desire for our children to bypass us. Yeah. I, I always wanted Sammy to do greater than me. I wanted to set him up for success. I wanted you know my my ceiling to be his floor, and I really did. But it, it took... Uh, it it took a realm that I had to humble myself and especially other parents are like, you know, you're doing a lot of playing and stuff with Sammy and my, yep. And God told me to do it. And they're like, but then God would warn me at the same time. I'd be sitting there and God goes, you know, this and that's happening at, at school. And I'm like, wow. See, because I went God's way, Sean. I, I, I had to humble myself and say, okay, this is the way we're going to go. Because I thought, well, I could teach Sammy, you know, the tricks of the tr- in ministry. And then, no, and none of that. None of that till he was 70. None of it, none of it. And then, and so I would sit there and God goes, you know, this and that's happening at school. And I'm like, Sammy, is this and that happening at school? And one day he starts to cry because they were calling him something. I didn't, but the Lord knew. But because I went God's way, God would begin to speak to me. And I wanted to say, yeah, so let's, let's just, I want to read this one scripture. You guys, if you get this scripture, you will understand fathers and mothers. So it's Father's Day, but also this scripture is for mothers. Do you know that you have the responsibility, this is a heavy-duty responsibility, to find out what's in your son and daughter and to bring out what's in your son and daughter in the Spirit. It's your job, not God's job. God put it in there. But you as a father and a mother, the job of a father is to finding out, the job of a mother is to find out the gifts that are in a child, to pray. And my wife was praying for Sammy way before we had Sammy, that he'd have wisdom and his gift would make room for him. That's basically she prayed for all these years. And and, and it's worked. But here's the deal. It says this in, in Hebrews uh, verse 23, and it's talking about Moses. And we say, wow, Moses, what a man, what a man. He's my favorite man in the whole, in the whole uh, um, uh, Old Testament is Moses. I like the man Moses, but it says by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by who? His parents. 
because they saw he was a beautiful or a special child. They saw he was a special child and they were not afraid of the king's edicts. Two different things. They saw the potential in Moses as a baby. They saw that he was a beautiful child. They saw that he was a set apart. They saw the giftings that God had put in them. They saw the, the calling that God had put in them. And what was the next thing? Now, here's the other thing. They were not afraid of the king's edict. What does that mean today? They're not afraid what other parents think. They're not afraid what the school system thinks. And they're not afraid what the government thinks. And and too many people, and the reason why they have issues with their children, they are afraid of what all these people think. They're afraid what the government thinks. They're afraid of the school. And so they want to set their kid up for success. How do they do it? They actually go into the system, like in, in Egypt, and they don't know they're doing it. And they're like, I'm going to set my son up for success. And what do they do? Money is so that... Good education and another good and a college and that's all good. I went to college for six years. I should probably be a medical doctor. So, but here's the deal. I want to set up my father, my son. I want to set him up successfully with God. Yeah, come on. That's amazing. You know, and just to bring, for those of you that are watching, just to bring some more, uh, you know, um, credibility to what Charlie's saying is that I've heard Charlie say these things about how he's raised Sammy, but I've also heard it from Sammy. And so it's like, it's cool for me because I'm close with his son, Charlie's son. And to hear Sammy talk about the walks that he had with Shirley when he was a kid and to hear Charlie or Sammy talk about playing basketball, playing sports and having fun with his dad while his dad would pour into him and mentor him. It's really amazing to me to see, not just hear it from Charlie, but for those, of you, for those of you that are watching, I've also heard this same thing said and the impact it's had on Sammy from his own mouth. And it's, it's absolutely incredible. And one of the things that I love, you know, and often when I think about, I've always remembered this because Sammy used to talk to me about it all the time, about how you would play with him and then pour into him. It's always stuck with me. You know, I've been a father now, like an actual father for my oldest now is going on 11 really soon in just about six weeks or less than six weeks, actually, and um, going on 11. And so I've been a, a, a father father for 11 years. I have four kids under the age of 11. And uh, I've just, man, I, uh, it's been my, my desire to, to find these moments because I remember it's always ringing in my head, like when you're playing, Sean, like pour into them. When you're playing... Talk about the things of God to them. And I, I've tried to do that. Sometimes I I struggle, though, to be honest. I'm like, okay, so when Charlie was doing it, was he like finding some sort of parabolic, you know, when you're shooting the basketball off the backboard and it it misses. It's kind of like life, you know. Sometimes we miss the shot and we miss. It's, it's, I, I've always tried to figure out, is that is that what Charlie did? Or was it just in passing? You're dribbling the ball, talking about the goodness of God. And I actually want to just, for quickly, just quickly, just give us an example. I know you kind of did already. Give us another example of what it looks like to pour into your kids while you're playing with them. Like, are you drawing these like deep revelatory parables from everything that you're doing? Or is it just more just organic, natural? Like, give it, can you give us an example? You know, it's, it's both, uh, it's both in, in the sense that I'll tell you, it wasn't, it wouldn't be this, these big, um, yeah, I wouldn't have this big like twenty minute message in the middle. It was more like just a couple of sentences that God would give me. Sometimes one, and sometimes it was about future behavior that Sammy would never do. So I knew I was sowing seeds. So more than sowing trees, I was sowing seeds. Sowing seeds. But here's the deal: sowing seeds. I, I yes. So seeds, because everything, right? 
Everything in the kingdom's a seed. God didn't make trees in the Garden of Eden. The Bible doesn't say that. It said he sowed a, he sowed a garden in Eden and he caused the, the seeds to grow up into trees. Jesus didn't say the tree's the biggest, the, the, the kingdom of heaven is a tree. He said the kingdom of heaven's a seed that becomes a tree. So when you're playing, I sowed seeds because you don't always have a lot of time. However, at the same time, I would use the same, especially when it comes to perseverance. So sports is all about perseverance. You know, I, I would pray, practice and practice and practice. That's how I became good, even though I wasn't that talented. People thought, wow, you have a great gift. Well, really, I didn't. I just worked my gift. But but the, the like, I would tell Sammy, like he'd miss a shot. I would say, okay, Sammy, that's probably one of maybe, you know, 100,000 shots you're going to miss in your life. But if, but if you make, the average NBA player uh, shoots about 47%. So if you make 47%, so that means if you, it, so I would, I would tell him those things too. I always wanted to aspire to greatness without get putting the pressure of greatness. And, wow. and that is the key as a father. You don't want, you want people to aspire to greatness without putting the pressure of greatness on them. God does that to us. If he showed every, us everything that would happen, we couldn't handle it. We'd have, we put such a pressure on ourselves. So we get, he, that's why we see in part, we know in part, pardon me, we prophesy in part, we know in part, and we see through a glass dimly. God can't, it, it would put too much pressure on us. Many parents put pressure on their children to be great. So don't give them trees, it'll knock them over sow seeds. So in everything that I did, e even like if the ball went in and, and went out, I, the odd time, especially in ball hockey. So, you know, there was, there's stick handling. I, I would say, Sammy, you want to keep the ball, you stay in your own lane. I said, there's a guy here and here, you're not going to take it straight to him. He's going to take your ball. But in life, I said, it's the same thing. You have a lane. You take that lane. Hockey's all about finding the lanes, finding the space. And I said, you take the lane, stay in your lane. And I said, in life, in ministry. And so as, as he grew up, when he got Amazing. older, I said, it's the same thing. He'll tell you about staying in your lane today. That's when I told him. You stay in your lane, nobody can take the ball. And then there's times when oh, you've got amazing. to cross over. That's, and so all these things in life, in sports, for me, because I got saved through playing basketball, I would just train him a bit here. But here's the key for me. Seeds. I don't. I didn't give him a big tree because he would have fall over. I didn't put pressure on him to be great, but I did tell him he was going to be great. But I, but I told wow. him in increments and how it would work, and I taught him how to be great. I showed him. Listen, I showed him the old, the old school moves that nobody does every day because everything before, before three point line was all inside. The big guys were all inside. He was only six two and a half. I told him how to do a hook move. Put your leg here. Nobody can stop you. So he would start playing in grade eight, grade nine, grade 10. He played against a seven footer when he was in junior high school. It was on the Canadian Olympic team. And now Sammy averaged about 30 points a game. But against the Olympic, I figured I don't even, he scored 18 points and the guy only scored 18, uh, 12 on him. And he went over to Sammy. He's like, how do you know all that stuff? Like, what's all that stuff? He goes, that's 60s basketball. He told wow. the guy. So I, I taught him. It says from the heart of a good man comes treasures both old and new amazing and so 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 there but they're actually you can actually say this from the heart of a good man are seeds because you say where's the treasure well well here it is well what is that it's a seed but that seed will grow into the tree this is the most important part about fathering because what happens is if you do if you don't understand this 
Fathers get impatient. And then when, when kids don't go the way they think, what happens is they get frustrated. And then they, then they use their words. Your words are very important. You can ask Shirley. Shirley and I talked about Sammy all the time, especially when he wasn't around. And we'd be driving and go, man, what a son God has given us. What a great son. He's going to buy, not just in front of him. We would sow seeds in the way we talked about him. We would never berate him. We'd never not one time put him down. We, you ugly kid. And what, or what do you think you're doing? You know, what, you know you're, you're, you're never going to amount to anything. Man, if people, you don't realize the power. Those are seeds that you're planting. And so when they grow older, they're like, man, I'm never going to amount to anything. God never says that to us. Read the Bible. The Bible is all the promises are yes and amen. So as fathers, but you see, if we do not allow God to be our dad, if we don't allow God to come into our grill sometimes, our life, and sometimes discipline, man, discipline's not easy. Discipline is, is simply this. It's choosing God's way over your way because your way could be, seems really, really good. And uh, the Bible says there's a way that seems right, but the end thereof is death. And it's not always God's going to, God doesn't whip you, but it can be very uncomfortable and it can only, it can be, okay, I'm going to choose God's way. Like I wanted, I had so many people and I'll pass it back to you, Sean. I had so many people when, when my son was 12, 13, 14, the anointing would increase. I do the odd home group here and there. People, ministries you would know came to me and said, you're, you need to go into full-time ministry, man. You've got a prophetic gift like no one else. You have all these things going and because I'd minister in the summers, but I'd always take Sammy. And, and, and they, would, they would say, you need to go into full-time and this is the way it is. And, that, and God would say, no, you will not go into full-time ministry and can, until you, take your, you can take your son with you. And so we took special needs people. It wasn't just Sammy. I don't know if you, you know that, right, Sean? We had special needs guys for actually 12 years. And we're talking one of them was severely handicapped in a, in a wheelchair. We love this guy. Can we still see him? And we had another fellow that was Down syndrome, could sing like Elvis. So Sammy always had uh, people in his home. And we took people in our home. We were fathers to the fatherless. We were a stranger. And we took people in. And we took care of them. And, and so it's, it's just been, it was, it was how God taught us. And so the expectation on the other guys wasn't the expectation that we might have had with Sammy. Like the one fellow couldn't even talk, but I could make him laugh because he understood everything. So I do cartoons and I did, and he would laugh and he would be in that place of joy. It's understanding what's in the heart of people and then yeah. being willing to step aside and just release Yeah, that's amazing. that heart. I love that. And I think like what you're kind of talking about at some level is the difference between, um, you know, instructors, people that just teach. Yes. And sometimes as a father, we feel like our role is to just teach our kids the way of the Lord, to teach our kids the way they should go. And if they're not depart from it when they're older, you know, and we have this idea that training just looks like instructing, but it's, there's a big chasm between instructing and fathering. And even you kind of referenced that I want to reference the scripture in a second, but you referenced about discipline, you know, how discipline follows us and we don't follow it. And, and you referenced, you referenced it just a minute ago and Hebrews 12 talks about that discipline actually legitimizes your sonship and, and a father who loves his son disciplines his son. But even that word for discipline is, is translated as chastisement in many translations. And that word literally means just simply child training. But if a, if a son is not disciplined, it's like they are illegitimate, it says in Hebrews chapter 12. And I just heard this story, Charlie, and it really impacted me. This was like, uh, I think yesterday, actually, or two days ago. And I, I might not get all the details right, but I heard this story about uh, there was this, this couple, and I think they had like three or four boys, or uh, yeah, I think three or four boys, and 
they were hanging out with one of the neighbor's kids. I think, I believe, I, I might be wrong on this, that this this neighbor's kid um, uh, didn't have the best upbringing, possibly uh, in foster care, going from foster home to foster home. And anyways, these three or four boys that were, you know, fathered by this one, you know, this one dad and couple, whatever, healthy family, uh, had this neighbor's kid over that did not grow up with a typical father fatherly scenario. And they were all over. And I guess there was some ruckus happening in the basement. And um, it was like 6 o'clock, 6.30 at night. So not even close to being bedtime. And they were in their teenage years. So like, I don't know, between the ages of like 14 and 16 to 17, somewhere in there. And they were like not listening. So the dad was like, guys, listen, if you don't, you know, deal with this, you're, you're gonna, there's going to be a consequence. Even talking to like everybody, even the neighbor's kid, just kind of generalizing, you're all going to be in trouble. They weren't listening, weren't listening. He's like, if you do this again, I'm going to turn the lights off and you're going to have to go to bed. It's going to be bedtime. I guess there was some sort of sleepover happening. You're going to go to bed early. And so they weren't listening, weren't listening. So the father comes in to like his own three boys, but the neighbor's kid's also there too. And he's like, that's it. You weren't listening. Uh, I need to discipline you guys. You're not paying attention to what I'm saying, not respecting my rules. He closed the blinds, shut the lights off. It's like 6.30 at night. He's like, you're going to sleep. This is how you're going to sleep. You know, you know, you know, foot to head, foot to head on the couch layout. And the neighbor's kid was a part of this. And so he's kind of like, what the heck's going on? It's kind of funny because they're like thinking in their mind, the kids are like thinking, man, this is like really strange that dad's doing this. Like he's going crazy. But then all of a sudden the neighbor's kid was like, oh my gosh, I'm a son. He sees me as a son. Like he's disciplining me. He's disciplining me. Like I'm being treated like one of them. And it was like this mind-blowing moment. I even get goosebumps as I'm sharing it. Mind-blowing moment for this neighbor's kid who didn't grow up like disciplined by a father, didn't have a father in his life. Just being in the environment, feeling like he was one of the sons, even though it wasn't his father. Joining in on the discipline made him feel like legitimate as a son. That's like mind-blowing. I mean, to me, like when I heard that story, I'm like, Man, shivers, like goosebumps, like just because um, that we, we, we are designed and coded and created to be disciplined, to be trained the way that we should go. But it's not just about that. And so I want to read a scripture out of First Corinthians chapter four, verse 15. I love what it says out of the passion translation. It says it like this. This is Paul writing because I, I do feel like a lot of people don't understand like this is all throughout New Covenant. And as I talk about fathers, I'm also talking to the mothers as well. There, A lot of these principles can be applied as mother to daughter, mother to son, father to son, father to daughter. Um, but it says Paul writes, who was a spiritual father to many, uh, to Titus, to Timothy, to uh, Anonymous in Philemon. You could read it, Philemon 10. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For although you could have countless babysitters. Now, in some translations, it would say instructors teachers in Christ telling you what you're doing wrong. You don't have many fathers, Paul said, who correct you in love. But I am a true father to you for I became your father when I gave you the gospel. I planted the seed like you were talking about. I gave you the gospel and brought you into union with Jesus, the anointed one. Even Paul's letters to Timothy talks about his role to Timothy as a father to son. Timothy was a spiritual son to Timothy. So was Titus. And we see it in his instruction, but it goes beyond just being 
an instructor. It goes beyond just being a teacher. There's something special about the father heart and raising up the sons, like you said it earlier, to go beyond, to be better, to be bigger, to be stronger, to go higher, to go more, to do more, to be more. That's the role uh, and the heart of, of a father. We even saw that in 2 Kings chapter 2, in, a, in Elijah's role and relationship with Elisha for, for many years. And it, it, we didn't, we didn't hear coming out of Elisha's mouth really this idea of father, father. But the moment in chapter two, second Kings, when Elijah was taken up in the whirlwind, we see the evidence of the type of relationship that had been developed for some time where he says, my father, my father, he cries out, my father, my father. And I remember, I remember this, and I'm going to bring this back to a statement that you made to me years ago. It was in 2000 and I believe it was 2014. It was the beginning of 2014, I think. Possibly 2013. I, I can't I'm getting the timeline a little bit cross here. But anyways, either way, I was going through a rough time. And there was a situation happening in my life. And I called you. And I told you about the situation. I told you about what, what, what I was going through. And I remember this. You, you, you responded to me. Maybe you don't remember this. But you said this to me. You said, Sean, there's lots of managers out there. But there's not a lot of people that know how to be fathers. And I feel like that that concept of managing versus fathering kind of weighs in on what Paul's saying. You have a lot of instructors out there, a lot of good teachers, a lot of managers, a lot of good leaders, but very few fathers. And and I, I love for you to just talk about that a little bit. What what does that mean? And talk about the difference between managing versus fathering teaching and instructing versus raising up sons and daughters. Can we talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, you know, Jesus, Jesus. remember when he said in John 15, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Really, he was calling them sons because sons, when they get older, become your friends. A manager, servants are, are managed by managers. Um, and unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, in the kingdom, and I would say uh, in whether you're trained, Bible school, Bible college, there's, I don't know of any, I'm sure there's some out there that teach leaders how to be fathered, but it's very rare. We teach people, uh, even by osmosis, how to manage, how to manage even the anointing, how to manage a meeting, how to manage a church, how to manage the finances. There's very little instruction on how to be a father because a father is of the heart. A father speaks of family. A position in the church is a position. The problem is we don't, to me, we, we don't get some very simple scriptures. And over the years, this is what I find. It's, it's like, you know, some people, I can look at them, uh, husband and wife, they've got a marriage covenant. Others, I look at them, they got a marriage contract. Big difference between a marriage contract and a marriage covenant. They don't know it, but I can see it. Because marriage covenant is of the heart. A covenant is of the heart. A contract, you just sign up. A lot of people have signed up for ministry. They've signed up to be to be, you know, to, to have spiritual oversight. Unfortunately, they end up being managers and not fathers. You know, when Paul said it's it, it's it's uh that you don't have many fathers, here's here's what I believe, here's the reason I believe why. To be a father means to, to actually submit yourself to God in a way that you are going to eventually have to give your voice away while you're still alive. Wow. You will have to do it. Do you know that all the patriarchs, 
uh, gave their inheritance away before they died. Not one of them gave it away after they died. That's what the Bible says. They actually released their, they were fathers. That's why they're called fathers. And that's why they are fathers. They're called fathers. That's so powerful. Before they die, it's true. Before they die, was there was the blessing and there was the firstborn inheritance. That's wild. It's true because we often think of succession in a lot of ways, sometimes through the lens of death. Yes, no. If we do, it's too late. And this is even in life, but also in ministry. It says that Joseph, he was old, leaned on his staff, and then he, he released the word. When you release an inheritance, you release it when you're alive. I had an experience, and this would be the defining experience because Sammy, when he became 17, he traveled with me. And for five years, he just would sit in the front row and he just watched me. And people say, well, how did you train him? Well, I didn't sit down and tell him what to do. I would minister and all he would do is watch. All he would do for five years of his life, from five to 20, he only preached one time. And the one time I think you know is he'd only, I'd only been there. I think the first time I went there, we had 2,500 people. We hit revival. We got so many people saved. And all of a sudden the pastor says, I'm flying you over here and and Sammy's going to preach tonight. And I'm like, man, he's never preached, but I didn't tell the pastor. So Sammy was nervous. He's like, dad, you're going there and you're leaving. And I said, yep. I said, Sammy, and now I had to say it because God, I said, you know what? You're going to have to get over yourself, man. I know you're only 17. He goes, dad, there's thousands of people. The revival's going to stop. I said, no, God's bigger than that. I said, just focus on God. So he, I was in Jakarta. He was in Batam in, in, in Indonesia, sitting with the pastor. And all of a sudden the pastor shows me his phone and all these texts are coming up. And it says, it's snowing in our church in Batam. It's snowing. I'm jumping up. I can feel the snow. It's 85. It's never snowed there in the history of ever in Batam. It's next to Singapore. Wait, wait, in the church, like, like a literal sign of wonder, a sign of wonder. Snowing, because Sammy preached one of my messages. The only thing I could think of is what can I preach? I remember my dad's message when he preached on the glory of God is like the snow on the mountain. So mom was there at the meeting. He's preaching on the glory of God is like the snow on the mountain. I preach a message. If you want to go up, the higher you get. And I talk about the snow. Have you seen the treasuries of snow and hail that, that, that are, that, that God created for the day of war and battle? Anyway, he's preaching it. While he's preaching it, it starts snowing. Shirley was there, snowing in Batam. It's 85 outside. It's so the, but you know how he got that? He didn't get that by me showing him the three-point sermon. He was in the presence, but I wanted to father him. But I'm like, God, how do I father my son in ministry? Do the stuff. That's how my son did. That's what, that's what God told me. Jesus demonstrated. They didn't say, he, you never hear Jesus saying, do this, do it like this, do ministry like this. They watched him, then he sent him out. And so what happened was over time, as we as he began to develop his ministry, he would develop it based on what he saw and he heard. What he saw and what he heard. Jesus, John, uh, John the Baptist, and Paul all said the same thing. We testify of those things we, we both seen and heard. So in the process of this, Sammy began a successful ministry. But I, I, you guys, I learned this. And I learned it through, I had to humble myself because I, I'm like, God, who know, who does this? Who trains their kids in ministry like this? I, he's not even going to Bible school and he never did. And God goes, he ain't going to Bible school. You're going to train him by the same way you trained him playing basketball. He's going to watch you. He's going to learn how to do it. He's going to make some mistakes. 
You speak in him every now and then, a sentence or two, and that's it. Ask him at the end of every day. I mean, I remember going in one meeting, Sean, one of the greatest meetings, another guy was ministering, a good friend of ours, you'd know him. We saw like 20 notable miracles, notable, 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 notable miracles. Sammy's like this, we're in the States then. He's like 18 years old, his eyes are like this. The guy that was preaching, his face like transformed into an angel. When we got into the room, Sammy goes, dad, dad, what a meeting, what a meeting. Did you see the speaker? His face looked like an angel. And then that guy got healed. And he goes, this is the the best day of my life, he says. And I said, and then the Lord spoke to me. I said, Sammy, I'm going to tell you something. I said, it was an amazing night tonight. He goes, dad, it was like heaven. I said, yep, but there's something more amazing than this meeting. He goes, what dad? I said, when you wake up tomorrow morning and you don't feel anything, but you choose to say, Holy Spirit, good morning. This is the day that you've made. I'm going to rejoice and be bad, be glad in it. And he, and he said, really dad? I said, yeah. Years later, you can talk to him. He remembers that probably more than anything else in ministry. It's not the highlights. It's not the the lightnings. It's none of that. It's the next day waking up where you don't feel nothing. And that's where I, I've wanted my son to go. But it only happened, we see in part, we, we prophesy in part, we know in part, and we see through glass dimly. So we plant seeds as fathers. The issue is, are we willing to go low enough for me low because now I had to get to the point where now my son I had to give away everything and now my son was going to transition can I talk about that yeah so yeah before you go there because like that's the thing I want to bring it back to that and let's dive into this for a second you said at the very beginning that one of the things you referenced Galatians about the lowly going low and esteeming others above our ourselves and you know a humility is such a key to even have a relationship, whether it's with a spiritual father or to have a healthy relationship with a father or as a father to a son, it's not just, it's both ways. Humility is really the, the, the answer to healthy, any relationship really in marriage. I mean, if you don't have humility and if you don't esteem the other, and if you don't uh, allow yourself to eat a little bit of humble pie once in a while, man, you're going to have an unsuccessful relationship. And it, th- I think this is now where the conversation goes to the roadblocks to having uh, fatherly figures in our life or having healthy relationships. Maybe you're a daughter and having a healthy relationship with your mother or whatever the case may be, or being that for somebody, being a healthy leader, which really ultimately should be fatherly at some level. Um, and it's not a control thing. We're not talking about manipulation. It's healthy heart towards those that you're in contact with. But we're talking about now the sort of some of the roadblocks or the chasm that I would call it between uh, what or what's stopping fathers to sons, sons to fathers, mothers to daughters, daughters to mothers. I had a dream recently. And I know you know this. I shared it with you not too long ago, actually. And it really impacted me. And I was in this banquet hall, so to speak. It looked like a banquet hall. And there was big, like, banquet tables. Like, long, like, tables that you'd sit at, like, at a, at a you know, bingo hall or something. Like, big, long, rectangular tables. Kind of like a, a wedding party would sit at. And I saw, like, all these people sitting at these tables. And I remember in the, in the dream seeing there was one table that was... Uh, pretty long. And there was all these, I knew there were sons and all the sons were sitting together at the same table. And then I looked and there was this, this like break, this space, another table was in between and a chasm in between and another table behind that other table that was empty 
was a table full of fathers. I knew, I just knew in the dream, like, you know, in dreams, these were, they were all these fathers sitting together and then a space, a chasm, a separation, and then all these sons sitting together. And I remember saying in the dream out loud, this is the problem, you guys. We're not sitting at the same same table. The fathers should be sitting with the sons at the same table. And I said, the sons should be sitting with the fathers at the same table. And I said this out loud. I said, the fathers need to look at the sons and the sons need to look at the fathers. I kept saying it, repeating it. The fathers need to look at the sons and the sons need to look at the fathers. This is the problem. We're not sitting at the same table. The table speaks of intimacy, vulnerability. Where do the most fights happen? Usually in families at the table, when you're sitting down eating, it's a vulnerable place. What if somebody brings up the religious conversation, the political conversation, the whatever conversation from the news media, like these are in the place of intimacy tables. It's a very vulnerable place. It's a very sensitive place. It can either go really well or either bad. And so people don't want to sit at the same table because they're afraid they're going to get in the fight. They're afraid of the conflict. And that's why I believe this, that sons are afraid to develop vulnerable relationships with the fathers and fathers with the sons because, you know, what if it doesn't work out? It's, It's scary for the fathers and it's scary for the sons. It's just as scary on both sides. And then I remember in the dream, and then I'll pass it to you. I remember in the dream, it shifted and I was still in the banquet hall and I was supposed to get up to speak. And I was trying to find a scripture on humility and I couldn't find it. I knew of the verse I was looking for. I knew where it was and I was flipping through my Bible. You know, like in a dream, sometimes it's like you're, you're running, but you can't run fast enough. You just can't, for some reason, get it. You know how to do it. You know how to run, but you just can't run fast enough. And so in the scripture, I'm like trying to find this verse on humility and I can't find it. I can't find it. And now I'm feeling the fear. I'm like, I got to get up there to speak. They're all waiting for me. I got to bring validity. I can't, there's no, I can't find the scriptural reference for it. And this was the play on words that God began to speak to me out of the dream. He said, Sean, part of the chasm is the inability to understand humility. It's, there's no reference for what humility looks like in the relationship between a father and a son and a son to a father. We need to learn humility, but the body of Christ as a whole is having a hard time finding a reference point, scriptural reference, a reference point for what humility looks like in this context. And this is part of the chasm. And so this, uh, I want to, let's dive into this humility being, I believe, or the lack thereof, a huge roadblock to having healthy relationships. We're talking about restoring stability in this, in this, in this conversation, reviving the fathers. So let's talk about this, Charlie, what's your, what's been your experience and your understanding on the role of humility in. Yeah. You know, yeah, Sean, good point. And if we do not, uh, if we don't move in humility, we will never recognize and we'll never recognize what we need to give away. We won't because we'll hold on to it. Um, humility will always bring you to the place of recognizing uh, not just your weakness, but recognizing the times of God when you need to give something away or you need to go lower. That's why the Bible says this, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and at the right time, he will lift you up. 
as you get older, if ministry, and I, I know lots and lots of ministers and many different ministries around the world. And as people get older, it's harder and harder to let go. Because if you, if you haven't learned, and if you haven't learned how to esteem others better than yourself, and that's a lifelong process, then you'll never see the opportunities when they come. So what happened to me is I had a Canadian, um, actually a Canadian national um, a charity number that was very rare. It took us two, two years to get it back in the 80s. I had it for 25 years. I called it Revival Canada. We saw God do so, so many amazing, amazing things through the ministry. And, uh, and lots, you know, all over the world, uh, um, we, we had people from all over the world go on our website. And, but anyway, one day, about seven years ago, the Lord spoke about, yeah, a little over six years ago, the Lord spoke to me in a dream. God, the father came in the dream. Now, when God, the father comes in my dream and says something, he always says it. There's, I want, I, I never want him to stop talking. It's always an authoritative voice with so much love. And so much anointing, you just want God to keep talking forever. Like, okay, I hear what you're saying, but God just keep talking. It's the most amazing thing. You know, that's what happened the road on the road to Emmaus. The two guys are walking. They didn't know it was Jesus. They didn't want him to stop talking. He's like he acted as if he was good further. No, no, keep talking, keep talking. And uh, and so, but here's what God said to me, Charlie. He said, just just like Michael Douglas has throat cancer and is in danger of losing his voice. That's what God told me. And I saw Michael Douglas in my dream. And Michael Douglas had throat cancer at that time. He said, just like Michael Douglas is in danger of losing his voice. He said, so are you and the prophets your age. And I saw all these guys and a bunch of them you would know. He said, so are you in danger of losing your voice if you do not give it away to the next generation right now? Wow. And I woke up and when he said right now, you see, when God says right now, it was one thing, if you don't give your voice away to the next generation. So what are you going to think? Okay, you know, one day in the future, you know, I'm going to give my voice away. When you're sick and you got nothing left to give. Exactly. And I'm at death's door. And then I begin to think about the patriarchs. God forever. His name will be what? The God of Abraham. No, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What did Abraham do? He gave his voice away to Isaac. What did Isaac do? He gave his voice away. It, when you get, it's one thing to give your money away. It's another thing to give your voice away. And I'm, I, I actually woke up and said, well, how's that going to work? And I knew I was sweating. I'm like, I got to give my voice away. How do I give my voice away? And so I remember the next meeting, you know, you try all sorts of stuff that may or may not be God. I actually didn't tell anybody. In the next meeting, I said, I want everybody 21 and under to come up and I'm going to release my voice. So I prayed, nothing happened. I prayed for everybody. Nothing happened. I thought, okay, I grieve God and that one. And I, I kept saying, God, how do I give my voice away? How do I give my voice away? But at the same, at the same time, I, ha- I had these thoughts, you need to give your charity uh, like you've had for 25 years and brought in a lot of, you know, a lot of finances, a lot of blessing, but it had a name to, you know, your charity is a name. People know you, Revival Canada. And, and so he's like, no, you need to give it to Sammy. And I'm thinking, okay, give it to Sammy. Well, all of a sudden I'm like, I'm going to give it to Sammy. Like Sammy's just getting married. Like, okay, let's give it to Sammy. So this is how old Sammy said. He would have been about 26, 27, I guess. And 27, maybe. And I'm thinking, okay, going to give it to Sammy. Then, of course, what's the next thing you think? Well, what am I going to have? Now, you can't think that, though. It doesn't matter. God said, if you don't do it, you're going to lose your voice. So, so I said, okay. But, but, but I didn't know they were actually related. So I said, I said, you know, Shirley, I said, honey, we're going to, we're going to give it up. So we talked to Chris and talked to Sammy, signed it over to him. Of course, he didn't know my dream. He didn't know nothing. I'm trying to focus this over here. I'm like, how do I give my voice away? Like mechanically, how do I give it away? 
Well, you know, I gave it away the same same way I gave past Sammy the basketball, but I didn't know I was giving away my voice. Because so I signed everything over. Do you know what he named my ministry that was called Revival Canada? He named it Voice of Revival. And I went, Voice of Revival? He named it Voice. I gave my voice away. Oh, that's how I wow. gave my voice away. Bob Jones, before I did it, before I actually did it, Bob Jones came in my dream. Bob goes, Charlie, he said, if you don't give your voice away to the next generation right now, you're going to lose it. He said, I'm like, what? Wow. And then I saw like thousands and probably maybe tens of thousands of young people, like young people that like, I'm 64, I'm going to be 65. So 40s young now, you know, when you're old when 40s young, but I, like 20s and 30s, and 40s, I saw all these young people and I'm like, I'm going to give my voice away. Okay. How's that going to work? That's before I gave it over to Sam. And Bob. So Bob goes like this, Bob wanted prayer. And I'm like, Bob, you're too old. He goes, yeah, I know it. But what happened was, I didn't personally give my voice away. I gave it to Sammy. Now, Sammy's voice, and, and man, I'm telling you, it's, it's, things are hopping on, on Facebook right now. But I, I wanted to share that with people because it's not easy to do. And sometimes you don't know how to do it. I didn't know how to do it. Now, here, can I share Char my Charlie Brown story? Yeah, yeah. Because this story of all stories that I've shared, because I, I don't want people to think too highly of me. I don't want people to think, wow, Charlie, this is just so easy. And, and you know what? I have my own, it's my own son. So it's my natural son that, that I release my voice to. However, you know, and I don't go around saying this, to be honest, Sean, I don't say this guy's my spiritual son. I never say that. If I'm a father to somebody, I'll be a father. They don't even have to tell me. Sometimes they do. Some people call me there. But you know what? You want to be a father. You, you know, I can be in the, in the same room as Sammy. He doesn't always have to go, dad, you're my father. You're my father. No, he's in the same room. He feels comfortable. He feel, and you know what? You know what sons do more than anything else if they have a good dad? They're just themselves. They don't try to be somebody else. They're not trying to hype things up. They can just hang out, put the feet up. That's how we are supposed to raise our uh, chill, spiritual children, to be comfortable in their own skin and who they are. Now, and here's what happened to me. So I went to, and I'll condense it a bit, because this was my, is my Charlie Brown uh, testimony that, that changed my life. And when I say changed my life, changed my life, my dynamic, but I understood why most fathers will not give away what God's given. And it's very sad. And we need to pray, Sean, and even I'm going to pray at the end that fathers will be able to, to humble themselves and be able to release what God wants. And sons, because they've seen a lot of stuff and they're like, man, I don't even know if I want it. You see, that's the other side of the coin. We need what fathers have and, and fathers need, but we also, we need to release it because then we get a greater voice. Our voice multiplies to the tens of thousands. And so I, I, I went to South Korea for the very first time. Somebody else was supposed to go a big speaker. I got sent in his place. I show up there. I'm waiting for 20 minutes in the airport. And I'm thinking, man, I thought these guys were on time. And finally, these two pastors come. Are, are, are you Charlie? And I'm like, yes, thank you. And of course, they bow in. I'm bowing. And never been to Korea before. And, and they, they're walking away. And, and, and so I said, do you guys have a sign or something? Because I didn't see it for 20 minutes. And the guy goes, oh, yeah, he takes up the sign. And it says Charlie Brown on the sign. So I looked at the sign, Charlie Brown. I went, Charlie Brown, the guy looked, oh, and then the other pastor's rebuking him in Korean, then they're bowing, and then they're rebuking some more, then they're bowing. I'm sitting there going, okay. I said, it's okay, you guys. But you see, to me, in dreams, if I'm wearing a brown coat or a brown cloak, or even the word, I hear the word brown, it means humility. And I'm going to have to go through a time of humility, and it's going to cost me. I could tell, and I went, oh boy, I could feel it. Something's going to happen. And I went, I'm going lower, lower. Something's going to happen. I'm going lower, lower, lower. And so I went to, I, I went to the meeting. I'm 
meet with the pastor, the pastor, first thing to pay. Can, can you imagine this? Traveling all the way from Canada to South Korea and the pastor looks at you with his interpreter and he goes, I don't like you. The first thing comes out of his mouth. I'm like, man, I want to go home. He goes, I don't like you. I wanted the other speaker. Nobody knows you. We might have 50 people. And I'm thinking, oh, great. And meanwhile, they have a family. This is a five-star restaurant, a five-star hotel. And this beautiful restaurant, gold, silver, the whole thing. Gold silver, goldware, and so this little kid is 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 the son of these other kids. He brings a bowl and it says Charlie Brown on the bowl, and and like Charlie Brown. I'm looking Charlie Brown. Where did he get that? I'm thinking, oh, lower, lower. What's going on? Like Brown, humility, got to go. And so anyway, the, the pastors and I'm thinking, man, I need to go low because this guy doesn't even like me. He goes, you know, we rented a church of four hundred. Uh, it seats eight hundred, and because we we're expecting a lot of people to get saved and a lot of new people because of this well-known speaker, we don't even know you. We're only going to get fifty people, and he's he's like harassing. And I'm sitting there, okay, lower, 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 but I'm not telling him. And all of a sudden he gets a phone call and his interpreter goes, there's, they've, because they, it only said 800. He says, there's 1,500 people in the building. There's 500 rioting outside. And of course, now the pastor's happy, right? And I'm thinking, okay, praise God. God goes, dental miracles today. And I'm like, what? At the restaurant, dental miracles. You're going to see dental miracles. People's teeth are going to go gold. You're going to pray for them. So I'm like, man, I'm getting pumped. So they, they, I meet this guy. His name's Daniel. He's got this, he looks like the CIA, this thing coming out of his ear. And he goes, hi, my name's Daniel. And the pastor goes, yeah, he is the president of Korea's personal bodyguard, the number one secret service guy. He's going to use, he's the head of our, our ushers and I'm thinking wow he's got the black suit on he's actually armed and I'm thinking wow now Protection. this wow hallelujah right so I get up and I go outside and have you ever heard of the hundred thousand dollar Hyundai they make them in Korea that's what they make Hyundai it's it's not called a, it's made by Hyundai it's the most it's a limousine I can stretch my feet out I'm six five and had this uh, massage thing in the back I've got the the president of Korea's personal bodyguard I'm in the car, the pastor, I'm thinking, man, hallelujah, I must have passed the test somewhere like Charlie Brown, you're, you know, you're in the trunk. And so we're driving there, right? We go to the meeting, the place is, there's people rioting, I mean, Koreans, they'll elbow out their grandmother to get a seat at a meeting. I mean, they're hungry for God, right? And so anyway, we're, I'm going in and they're like, ah, and people are shouting, they want to get in. And so this guy comes, everybody knows this guy, Daniel's like, rah, rah, and the people, the Red Sea parts, I come in, you know, the, all the all, the hallways were filled with people. I go in, they took it all the chairs except for the ones at the front they always have these big pulpits in korea right these huge and so i go up there and i'm sitting the place is packed i start preaching and then i pray for dental miracles and they start popping and people are just crying and bawling and, and one after the other and there might have been 20 people got dental miracles i'm two four eight teeth they're putting the camera in there people are screaming that god is moving the power of god's hitting the place and then, and then I said, uh, let's take a drink from the river. We took a drink. I said, now let's take a drink for the Presbyterian church. And I take a drink. And then everybody's looking like this, including the pastor. The interpreter goes, uh, we're a Presbyterian church. They, they thought I was sort of mocking them or something, right? I'm like, okay, well, let's just take a drink. Well, they didn't like that. I didn't even know the pastor didn't even believe in dental miracles. So he's madder than a hornet right now. He really doesn't like me. So, And I'm thinking this is one of the greatest meetings I've ever been in. Well, he doesn't think so. And so we go home. The next day in the paper, the pastor brings me the paper. It's all Korean. It's this big. It's the Presbyterian Times. It's got my face on the front. Charlie Robinson with the false Toronto Airport Vineyard signs. And then the pastor. So I get thrown under the bus and the pastor, right? 85% of the Christians are Presbyterian in Korea. Now they just threw him under the big religious bus and he's mad at me. Now I gave him a bad reputation. Now I'm my big fat face on the front. And I'm thinking, God, what is going on? And so we we have lunch and he's like, oh, I can't wait till Jeremy comes. I'm like, 
yeah, Jeremy Nelson's coming. And the team, and he goes, yeah, yeah. Jer-. And I said, how do you know Jeremy? He just graduated. Like Jeremy was a young guy and he graduated from a mentorship. And, and I remember this and here's what I want to get to. And I'll shorten it up because it's a long story. I would always say this. One day, the young guys are going to pass me. One day, the young guys are going to be in the platform. One day, you see, and I'm all for the young guys. I'm telling you, God, you know what? God hears that. And I'm sitting there. And uh, so then Jeremy shows up. Jeremy comes in. And, uh, you know, the, oh, Jeremy, they'd seen him on the internet, but they didn't know who I was. Oh, the pastor, he gives him the seat of honor. So I'm sitting there. Okay, that's okay. And so we eat and we're ready to go to the meeting. And on the way out, this guy does the arm bar. Like, it just goes like this to me. And he's an usher, right? I don't even know where he came from. He had one of those big Korean usher things, you know, with all the Korean. And he goes like this. And I'm heading for, you know, I'm heading for my car, you know, the, the $100,000 Hyundai. And I see, the, I see the, the president's bodyguard and the pastor. And all of a sudden there's no one. And he points to a car and it looks like the, the Korean equivalent of the Yugo. And there's this little tiny car. And I'm like, you want me to get in there? Yeah, in there. So I'm sitting in the back with my knees up to my chin. Nobody can speak English. And I watch Jeremy get in the car, in my car, in my $100,000 Hyundai with the pastor, with the, with the, with the, uh, the, the, the president's bodyguard. Bodyguard, and they all go off to the church, and I'm stuck in the back of a, of a Korean Yugo, and I'm driving like, what did I do? So I go there, so I go to the meeting, and all of it in my spirit is saying this, Charlie, this is good for you. This is really good. And then God would say, remember all those times you said, you know, I'll be so happy. Now, listen, I was happy in the spirit, but something about my flesh, I'm like, okay, this is good for me, but man, it doesn't feel good. God goes, yep, I, wow. I'm going to teach you something today, Charlie. Should we go to the meeting? They stopped me halfway in. I don't even go and sit at the front. They have a chair, one chair here with a rope in front of it, a red rope. I'm sitting here facing the side and everybody goes up there. All the anointing Jeremy's up there. And I'm like, what's going on? God goes, what do you think now, Charlie? And I'm like, yep, this is good for me. This is good for me. But God, it doesn't feel good. Why doesn't it feel good? God says, I'll tell you later. Jeremy preaches his starter message. His starter, starter message. First message, you know you know when you're in Bible school and you have the three points, the reigns of God. So I thought, okay. The pastor gets up. This is the greatest message I've ever heard, better than Kenneth Hagin. I'm thinking, what about my message? You know, we got. So I'm thinking, okay, this is good. Lower, lower, lower. We go back to the hotel room. Jeremy's on fire. He comes up. Charlie, look what the pastor gave to me. He pulls out a stack of ten thousand U.S. Like you know, with with the thing around it, with the paper around it, ten thousand U.S. He goes, the pastor just gave this to me, and I'm checking my pockets. So I got nothing. And he's like, it's, it's great, Charlie, and hallelujah. And I'm like, okay, rejoice to those that rejoice. I'm like, ah, yeah, I'm rejoicing. I got nothing. The guy doesn't like that. And so all these emotions hitting me, and I said, well, why do I feel that? He says, you're feeling the reason why most ministers will never become. A father, never, because wow. they will not be able to break through this and will not be able to say it's good. I went to meeting after meeting. I had Ken Gretter finally shows up and I'm thinking Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown, I'm going, finally Ken Gretter who's the head of the whole ministry, that big, big, big ministry. They sit him beside me at the back. I just talked to him the other day about that. He goes, remember when they sat us at the back behind the red rope and we're like in the penalty box and Jeremy was way up there. So Ken's sitting there. He goes, Charlie, what's going on? I said, well, here's the deal, Ken. I'm Charlie Brown, you're Snoopy. And he goes, what? I said, I'll tell you later. <laughs> so I go through the process and here's the process I went through. I got the smallest offering when I left that I've ever got in Asia. And I had to be just as happy. And I left there and I went to the, end, I went to the airport and, and, and God goes, how do you feel? I said, I feel really good. I said, this is really good for me. He goes, Charlie, but I have to say it. I have to say it, Sean. And this is a serious moment. We need to pray that guys can do it. We need to pray that fathers will be fathers. We need to pray that fathers would be able to give away in this season. Not, it's not just an anointing, Sean. 
It's not just a calling. It's not just an anointing. It's a destiny. It's an inheritance that's not meant for us to keep until we die. It's an inheritance to release to the next generation. It's a, it's an, you know, we know, we know Jeremy well. You know what he brings me every time he goes and does a trip. He, they're in a, a four-year revival, four-year revival in San Diego. Him and Miranda. We've known Miranda since I think since a teenager. You know, we, we're he he brings us in. You know why? Because he loves us and we love him. And he knows I ain't going to try to take the pulpit. <laughs> I ain't going to take my own revival. Because what happens is when you learn how to give away what you have. And you know what? When I went through that in Korea, I'm like, this is, this is like, God, this is so good for me. This is, a, but why am I feeling that way? Many times he allows me to feel what other feel, people feel. But you know what? Even for myself, I'm like, okay, is this the cost? He goes, that's the cost. And you know what it is? It, you're right. It's a matter of humbling ourselves to the point where we will give away what we have, even if we don't get anything else in return. You see, I give away, I've given away everything I have to Sammy in the spirit, in the natural. Uh, but at the same time, you know what? I have to give it away with no strings attached. Wow. You know, I think, I think, I think that's so powerful, Charlie. I think often there's a misconception about what humility really is. I think one of the def, one of the best definitions that I've heard to explain humility, especially from a biblical sort of construct is obedience and obedience is never without surrender being able to have your hands open with everything that you've been given with your heart which is why it's vulnerable to have relationship it's why it's hard to have to 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 not have the chasm between the fathers and the sons, which is why they don't want to sit at the same table and look each other in the eye because it's vulnerable to give away your heart, to hold your heart on the table and say, if I give this to you, you could destroy it. You could squash it. You could do whatever you want with it. It's scary. Just like it is in marriage in any real relationship that goes deeper than just being an acquaintance, this, this idea of surrender. And like I said, there's no, you know, surrender really is the, is the, what I believe the demonstration of obedience to be obedient to God is to consistently every day surrender everything. I'm, I'm all in. If you say, go here, I go there. If you say, do this, I do this. You say, give it away. I give it away. If you say, you know, bury your heart to this individual, you bury your heart. And that's it's this every day of surrender. And so I, I, I would love it first. If you do two things, if you could one, I know there's people watching today and that will watch this later on that one of the main reasons why they've not been able to open their heart to God is because they had a bad uh, example of a father, maybe even of a, of a mother growing up. And they've just not been able to disconnect the two because often the way that we see God is often through the lens of how we saw or see our parental figures. It's not to put blame. It's just as kids grow up, they're just trained to think that way. And and I, and I know there's people that are searching. Maybe they maybe they were in foster care. Maybe they felt like they never had real family and they feel they've been orphaned, so to speak, for their whole life. And they're just, they can't see God as a father. They see him as a God. They see can see Jesus, but they just can't have this, they don't have this ability to, to, to see God as a father, as a dad, as a papa, as, you know, Romans 8, as we opened up in the beginning talked about they can't see it and so it's stopping them from really letting him in and there's people that are pursuing and searching tr for truth in this hour you know is god real and i would just love it if you would just quickly just lead those that are on this journey pursuing 
uh, uh, pursuing truth in this season, pursuing, you know, is God for real? If you just lead those into a moment where they can actually let Jesus into their life as a father for the first time. And then after that, after that, if you would also just pray now, pray for a revival in the fathers, pray for humility, pray for the sons, and then just minister freely. If you have a word for the kingdom culture community, if you have a word for those that are watching, just just release whatever God's put on your heart. I'd love it if you would do both of those things. Yeah, you know, um, those of you that watching, uh, you, maybe you're maybe you've never ever made a commitment to Christ. Maybe you've never asked Christ into your life. Uh, maybe you believe in God. Maybe you don't. There could be other people watching that you may have made a commitment to the Lord years ago, and you're not walking. Uh, you're not walking with God. And so you're the guys and gals I'm talking to right now. And there's a scripture that most of you will know, but it identifies how much God loves you. And that's why this scripture is so important. It's John 3, 16. Now, when I say it, because you probably heard it before, don't, don't discount what I'm about to say and actually listen to it as if it's the first time. It says, for God so loved the world. I'm talking about the father. So loved the world. He loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. So one time he gave away no strings attached, his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible also says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, our focus, most of the focus is uh, about about uh, Jesus. Most of the focus is on Jesus, what he did, uh, what he suffered. He hung on the cross. He rose again. But here's the deal. I want you to think about what the father did for you. No matter what kind of a dad you had, I had a really good dad. But, and I know a lot of people, it's not that dads are bad. Some dads just, their dad wasn't that great. They, they, had an emo, they were emotionally stunted in their life. They didn't know how to pass on a blessing because they never had a blessing passed on to them. They maybe were talked down to their whole life. So they talked down to their sons and daughters. It's not an excuse, but the, you know, most, most dads who are in, in, in that situation, they have struggled their whole life with their identity. The problem is identity. And what happens is if we've had a dad you know, I know some people, dads seem fine, but when I talk to them, they're like, no, but he wasn't fine to me. And sometimes dads don't meet up the expectation of their children. And the children have this expectation of this perfect dad, or they see somebody else's dad and they want their dad to be like that. He's just not that. And the frustration comes in and the separation comes in. And often there's an emotional frustration and separation, not just, okay, I didn't get the dad I wanted. What kind of a dad is that? And he's always on my case and he's always bugging me. And it's always discipline. It's always no. See, what happens is it drives a wedge in between you and your father. Now, I'm not excusing your dad or mom, but what happens is either way, it drives in a wedge. The problem is because we're, we're spirit, soul, and body, we're actually a spiritual being. Your body will die, but your spirit and soul will live on. It drives in wedges into that part of your heart, and it actually closes a door. It's like taking a door. If you've been disappointed by your father especially, and your mother, your father, maybe he left when you were a child, or he said things, hurtful things, what you've done is taken a door and just take big nails, and you've nailed these nails into the door, and you've closed this door off from love. Yeah, you may have tried love this way and this way, but that door of love that because of disappointment, you've closed it. Here's the deal. The Bible says that Jesus himself says, behold, I stand at that door and I'm knocking. Why is he knocking? Why doesn't he come in? Because you've nailed the door shut. You've locked it. And what you need to do is very simple. Don't look back. You cannot look back at your experiences. When I got saved, I didn't look back in the good, the bad. I was quite depressive as a teenager. I could not look back at that. 
I looked at Jesus. You need to look ahead right now. For some of you, the first time in your life, some of you have no hope. That's your problem. Some of you may be suicidal. It's because you don't have hope because you lost hope because what kind of a dad? Who? Why did Some people say, why did God bring me into this family? Why am I even in this family? What a horrible family. Now, you, you've, you've got to put that all aside and you've got to humble yourself like we talked about humbling. Humility is the only way you can get into heaven. The Bible says God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. So today, if that's you, you need to humble yourself and say, okay, God, maybe I didn't have a great dad. Maybe I did have a great dad, but maybe I didn't, or, or my mom and have had issues, but I'm going to put that over here right now. I'm going to look to you because you took time to send your only son who never did anything bad, and you're the perfect God. You did, and, and I want to receive your gift now. It's very, very simple. And here's how you receive the gift of God. It's freely received. Don't try to be good. Because sometimes when we've had issues growing up, we try, to, we try to become a perfectionist. We try to do everything right. We try to do everything good. And if we fail in one thing, it's like we failed at everything. That's, the Bible says that's keeping the law. That doesn't work. And sometimes when we feel rejected or neglected by our parents, we, we, we don't want to be that so much. We want to be the perfect one. Well, that won't work either because there, no one is righteous. No, not one, the Bible says. Not one of us is righteous. So how do, we, how do we receive it? It's a free gift. What does it mean? It's not by your righteousness. It's not by what you've done. It's, it's only by what the Father has done through his son, Jesus. And then Jesus came and prayed the, paid the price for you on the cross. And so here's how it works. And, I, and it's not a long prayer. I prayed a very short prayer. I gave God one kick at the can and he kicked it really hard when I was 17 years old. And you do this, you just look up. And it's, even if you're alone, look up, put your hands out. Maybe you've never done it before, just do it. Try it because you know what? For many of you, what's been working doesn't work. So how's it working for you? It ain't working. So this is what you need to do. This will help you and say, Father. That's how you pray, Father. Dad's a good, a, a good prayer to pray because God's your dad too. Dad, thank you for sending your only son for me. In the middle of my chaos, in the middle of my world, you sent God, you sent Jesus to die for me. And he not only died, but he rose from the dead. And I believe it right now. I see my need for a savior. And I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life, wash my sins away. Thank you that you are the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Pray that. And then say, say this, I repent or I turn from my sinful way and I turn to you. Fill me with your power. Help me to live for you in Jesus' name. That's how it works. Now, you may not have prayed the prayer perfect. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's believing in your heart and saying it with your mouth. I just want to encourage you, if you've done that, whether you were far from God or you've never walked with God, I want you to contact this ministry, these guys, Kingdom Culture, because they're good people. And so we want to give you an opportunity. And I love doing this. We've seen as through Sammy's program in the last five weeks, 247 people say yes to Jesus. Yes to Jesus. It's Father's Day. Come on. The Father's looking at you. You know, the, the, the father is, is, is yearning for you, loving you. And you know what? He, and he's a really, really good dad and he wants to help you. And I also want to pray for um, the family, your, your, your church family. And um, I, I'm going to tell you what I see. I see, I saw it right from the beginning. I see some of the last puzzle pieces. It's almost like things that, that you haven't identified uh, yet. And, and even Sean, I can see there's puzzle pieces that because, but you believed anyway. And, and, and there's, there's like this piece, uh, where is this piece? And this, it's like when you're looking for a puzzle and all of a sudden you're down to the last few pieces, but you're like, man, there's like one or two missing. Well, they're not missing. They're right there. And, and God has given them to you. And I see that God is giving it to you and putting together a couple of final pieces of the puzzle, whatever that means. There's a fight there. This is going to be a completion. This is not Jesus, the author. This is Jesus, the finisher that's about to come to your ministry. I'm talking kingdom culture and what you guys do. And he's going to put on the finish 
finishing touches. He's going to give you the final pieces. And even there's something about going up to Zion. There's something about standing on Mount Zion. Like he shared that one dream, but it's not only that. It's like an authority. The authority that you're going to have is that you're going to be standing up on Mount Zion. The reason you even had the dream, because it's it was the process was the drive to there, but the action is going to be a new place of authority. I see Psalm chapter 2, God said is king on his holy mountain. I see also that 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 you're going to, God's giving you nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. You're going to strike them with a rod of iron and, and, and you're going to crush them like, like a potter's vessels. And there's something in the area, in the Ottawa area that you guys live and that you minister into, you're about to walk in a new freedom. What I mean by a new freedom, you're going to get like fresh air. There's, there's going to be favor that's going to to come to you from outside of the people that you know you're going to have favor there's something about that you've affected the government you've been trampling serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil even where you are and even in ottawa and you're going to see the manifestation of the last season that you're in it's almost like the last season i mean a lot of us has been like all of a sudden okay we're in the house and how do we do this but 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 you your your faith is there and you're going to see it's almost like we're all god showed me at the beginning of this we're all it's like back in the 70s, I remember this, the, the, the race in the Olympics, like the, uh, the 22 miles or whatever they run the marathon. And all of a sudden in that year, they all went into this great big like tunnel kind of a thing. And it was a huge, it was like a, a mile a tunnel or something. And all of a sudden when the people came out the other side, it was like the guys that were ahead, all of a sudden they were at the back and the guys that were back were ahead. And I see that. I see there's going to be a shifting. And as you come around the tunnel, because the tunnel represents humility, it represents a place where you're walking by faith and not by sight. But as you come out, you're actually going to be leading the pack. And that's the season that you guys are coming into. And I pray for the whole family, for all of the guys that have invested. There are people who invested in your lives. I see people that have walked away that are going to come back. I see pieces of the puzzle that have left that are coming back in this season. And I see that God is about to start. There's some kind of a generator. And God is going to begin to generate things. Your church is actually going to be a generator for other churches. Where other churches where the lights and power are starting to go out, you're going to be a generator. You're going to provide power even to other churches, even to other pastors. I see people are going to begin to look at you guys and going to begin to draw the power from what you've done because there's a staying power. You notice sometimes you pass a test and it's the least you think, well, I did pass the test. I passed the test when I gave my, my charity to Sammy. I didn't even know where that was the test, but I passed it. And so then I went, and now God's given us a, a new realm. I see the same thing. I just see the banners over you. I see the love. I see the oil. I see the joy. I see revival. I see a school bigger than what it was before. I see a Dan, you know what? I see the Daniel company, but I also see something. I see like a company of fathers and sons walking together. I actually think it's your job. I don't think it was just a dream. I think it's going to be your job in the kingdom is to bring fathers and sons together, not just fathers, but also fathers and sons. I see the anointing of Elijah that's coming and I on your ministry and on yourself and your and your job literally will be to draw the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers. Wow. Wow. I received that. Wow. Thank you so much. I totally received that. Wow. Woo. Thank you so much. I, uh, I'm, I'm speechless right now. I totally received that. Thank you so much. I feel like that was a rich, rich seed to deposit. Not only did I receive that, receive that personally, but just even into the house, into the community and and we just want to pray for all of the fathers out there and just say happy Father's Day. Those that maybe are spiritually fathering people, leading people day in, day out. Pray for the sons, praying for the mothers and daughters as well, of course. But just praying that in this season, there would be a revived heart or a return 
to healthy relationship and that God, you would give us humility, lead us into humility, lead us, teach us about what humility looks like to restore broken relationships and to remove the chasm and the the space in between that's stopping us from having the kind of relationship that we're called to have. God, give us stability in this next season. I believe that relationships, healthy family ends up looking like, like stability. And, 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 and I pray, God, that you'd restore stability to all those watching where there's been disconnects and division. And that, God, that this Father's Day would be a day to remember that moving forward, as many of us are shifting out of sort of this lockdown and all the craziness that's gone on, I pray that in this next season, God, that we would see just great stability as you'd revive the hearts of fathers, revive the hearts of the sons, and just restore healthy relationship in Jesus' name. You, you know, Sean, I want to say just one more thing because I had uh, God showed me something when you were praying. And I can say this because it's Father's Day. I believe that God is going to restore spiritual testosterone to the body. Testosterone to the body. Wow. In, 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 in that fathers are going to rise up and be fathers. And they're going to provide what's lacking. That's my prayer. And I saw it. I saw that. And you know, you know, and it's not about being macho. Fathers are the fathers. No, it's being a father. It's being a father. You know what being a father is? God told me it's the four nesses. Told me this. So the way I treat my wife, it's the way I'm to be a father. It's in, in the nine gifts of the spirit. There's four that end with N-E-S-S. You have love, joy, peace, patience. That's the four pillars. But it's the four, the gentleness, goodness, kindness, faithfulness those are the four dimensions of the heavenly father that minister to sons he ministers to sons out of what gentleness kindness goodness faithfulness and i believe that god is going to provide that back to the we're going to see gentle we're going to see good we're going to see kind we're going to see faithful when because that's how our father is toward us god told me that's how i'm to be toward my wife and to spiritual sons and that's how fathers is and so we just believe that god's going to restore that back uh, to the church, and we're going to see what real fathering is. Man, that's a whole other conversation. That's powerful. Wow. The Nesses, the four Nesses. I love that. Galatians 5. That's awesome. Charlie, thank you so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, so thankful for your life, for you and Shirley, your whole family. And to all of our Kingdom Culture community and those that are watching abroad or that will watch this later, happy Father's Day. I hope you have an amazing, amazing day. And just praying that in this season, there'd be some incredible, incredible restoration in so many areas of oration, 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 in so many areas of